Brothers and sisters, welcome to our service. It is joy for us to be here. And I hope you're encouraged. And if you're not, I hope you will be encouraged after we go through the scripture. Who needs encouragement today? Three of you, four? Honestly? Talk to me. I need encouragement. So let's go to the Lord before we start and ask. Father, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is a person of comfort, the spirit of encouragement, that he would anoint our hearts with courage and he put this courage in us to live for you and for your glory. May you bless this text. That will become living and active in us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you open your Bible, please go to First Thessalonians 5. I understand last sermon was kind of very doomy, gloomy, and I hope this one would be the message of hope. Paul, in this text, in Thessalonians 5, 9 to 11, he encourages us to become an encourager. He encourages us to become an encourager. As we read this text, think, what is that Paul is asking us to do? In verse 9, he says, after all that he's been expounding on about the day of the Lord and about our holy living and calling us to live as sons of light and sons of day, he then gives us reason for hope. And he said, for God has not destined us for wrath but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. I heard this story at the end of the World War II two American pilots was, were hit and captured at the concentration camp. And they were given work to do. And after heavy labor and sleepless nights and a lot of hunger, the officers of Japanese army told them, if you take this pile of rocks from this place and throw it into the sea, upon when you've done your job, you will be set free home. And so they worked day and night, worked hard. And after four months, the job was done. And they came to the officers, and the officers laughed at them, and they said, we were joking. You're never going to see freedom. At that moment, they went to their cells, laid down on their bed, and never got up. There was no hope to live for. 
This passage is calling us to be an encourager because everyone needs hope. Everyone needs encouragement. David needed encouragement. There was a period of times when David was almost stoned by his own people. People were so discouraged with, his, with their leader that they want to stone him. And it says that, but David straightened himself in the Lord. Timothy was very discouraged. And that's why Paul in 2 Timothy 2, 1, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There are people who are against the gospel in Ephesus, but you've been strong for the word of God. Paul says to Timothy, do not be discouraged, be strong in the grace. And I'm sure you and I need an encouragement. And not sometimes, but very, very often. And if I could illustrate the discouragement part, if you've ever seen the turtle upside down, right? There, there's no hope for the turtle unless someone comes alongside and flip her over. Sometimes I feel like a turtle upside down that I have no power to get up. I have no strength to get up. And Paul says, if you want to help people, if you really want to love one another, learn how to encourage. Learn how to change people's lives. This is what love means. Forgive one another. Bear with one another, but also encourage one another to live a godly life. In light of what is coming to this world, we need to encourage one another. Someone said the greatest thing that Christian could do is the encouragement. Nothing is more worthwhile than encouragement. No mission is more divine than the encouragers. No other way we can do more good than go about speaking words of encouragement. On the other hand, what is the opposite of encouragement? Something, something, I can hear. Discouragement. Discouragement is the worst thing that you could do if the best thing you could do is to encourage people with the word of God and the hope of the blessed hope of God then the worst thing that you could possibly do to a Christian is to discourage him to live for God. They were Adam and Eve when Satan came and discouraged them to obey the word of God. And that was the worst thing that happened to the humankind. Another illustration, 10 spies in Numbers 13 came back. 12 came back, two were encouragers, 10 were discouragers, and they're listed by name in the Bible. By name. You could look at them, who are those people are, that they brought discouragement and a curse for the Israel. Those people were bad news. And Paul says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Be an encourager. Find what is good in the word of God. Go to people alongside of them and help them. Instead of discourage them and see, hey, look at your cup, it's half empty. Say, your cup is overflowing with God's goodness to you. And you can because he is able to make you go forward in your ministry. Discouragement is what kills relationship. It was kills 
marriages, it would kill churches. I read a story, Adrian Rogers said this in one of his sermons. He said, one day the devil was actioning off his tools. That is all but one tool. It was such a high price, no one could afford it. When someone asked why, he said, that's my favorite tool. It's the tool of discouragement. I use it to pry open a life, and when I get inside, I can do all kind of damages with my other tools of hatred, lust, evil, jealousy, and pride. Now, as we come into our text, I want to give you three reasons to be encouraged. Three reasons, and they're not in me. And they're not in people next to you. They are in God. They are in God. Encouragement comes only from God. What David says, where from, where, from where my help comes from, he said, my help comes from God. And Paulus teaches us there's at least three reasons in this text why we should be encouraged enough to encourage other people. Number one, because God has promised salvation. He determined salvation. Number two, he paid for this salvation. And number three, he purposed us for a special, special purpose of our salvation. He promised us. He promised us. Now look verse 9. It says, for God has not destined us for wrath. In verse 8, Paul reminds us that we are not of this world and you have to put on helmet of salvation. There is hope for you. Hope that comes from God, from the gospel, and that he will save you from this wrath that is coming upon this world. Put on the helmet upon your head. Protect your mind. And in your mind, the first comforting thing, the hopeful thing, is that God is sovereign over your salvation. God is absolutely sovereign over your salvation. And the argument goes from the higher to the lesser. If God is sovereign and determined in your salvation from the beginning, when you could have done nothing and no one could do nothing to change that fact, can anybody could do anything to change the fact now? No. It says, for God, there is a reason. Find encouragement in the sovereignty of God, in the promises of God that God has ordained you not for wrath. God is our source of encouragement because he ordained before the foundation of the world our salvation. You didn't work for it. You didn't ask for it. You run away from God. And God, it says, for God has not destined you for the wrath, but he's destined you to obtain salvation. Ephesians 1.4 clearly says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, he wrote your name before. Now, why are we discouraged if God, before we've been born, wrote our name down for salvation? Some, something has been done in the past that will encourage you in the future. Something will affect the future, your destiny, basically secure. Whatever we're going through this, uh, this time right now, 
the way how we should encourage ourselves is go back to the promises of God, to the decree of God that are unchangeable. No one could change those things because God ordained the plans. Eternal reality for you is set. Those whom God predestined, he will glorify. In John 10, 29, Jesus says, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish because of the decree of God. Now, the moral will could be changed, but the decree of God can never be changed. And the encouraging part is here that Paul says that you're not destined, you're not ordained for the wrath. Nobody likes wrath. I don't like wrath. I don't like when people are angry at me. I don't like people frowning on me. I just don't like it. But this wrath is a special wrath. It's the orge. It is the, it's the culmination of the seven years of tribulational period when God will pour out everything he has for the sinner to punish the sin. That is an incredible delivery when God says, I did not destine you for that. Seven years of scary things, one after another, and then end up at the lake of fire with the wrath of God at all times. God said, I did not destine you for that. Isn't this encouraging for you? No, it's not, because I have the problems right now in my family. And God said, no, no. The wrath that you experience here from other people, it's far less than I delivered you according to my promise. And we could trust him. Because he has promised. He said, I promised, for God has not destined us for wrath. People don't like to talk about the wrath of God, but sometimes it's good to go back and to see what is the wrath of God. How dangerous and how horrible that is. And then the appreciation for what has done for us God in Christ would grow. And Paul, Paul says that God did not destine us. He promised us salvation to obtain. This is in the passive form because obtaining meaning that you have received. It's not that you went on and worked for it. And you somehow bypassed the wrath. You did not. God just give you from the destiny before, predestined you to salvation. Now, it's like your birthday. We celebrate our birthdays and we like it. And we are just, you know... People are congratulating us. We should congratulate our mothers because they worked. We didn't. Right? They gave us birth. We didn't do nothing. We celebrate God's grace. That's all we do. When we read about ourselves that God predestined us to salvation, we should be lifting up with courage to live for him with praise. God did not appoint us to suffer the wrath but to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. This is where we find hope in the sovereignty of God. God has ordained the situation for you, but he's also ordained salvation. Yes, nothing comes without approval of God, nothing. The situation that we're in right now, the suffering that we go in, God ordained it, but he doesn't want you to go through the suffering without hope and without courage. He said, be encouraged in the gospel, in the sovereign will of God that I destined you to be saved. 
And the only reason why we discourage is because we shift away from the sovereignty of God into the pool of men and people and situation when we think that someone somehow ordained these things. And it's not in our control, but it is in God's. It is in God's. You should ask yourself this question. If God ordained for me to be saved, something that was totally out of my control from the coming wrath of God, can I trust him today, right now? Do I have courage to trust him now? And the only reason why we discourage is because we don't trust him. Oh, we trust him for salvation. But in this situation, I think God is out of control. But it's not true. He is. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that God caused all things to work together for good for those who love God. All things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. And I have to believe that because when I suffer, I forget. And I shift away from the sovereignty of God to what I could do and change and to whom I could run to get my courage from, but I have to go to God. He is my help. And he has promised. So since our salvation is promised by God, we must encourage one another with this hope. Since our salvation was promised by God that he would not deliver us to the wrath, we must be encouraging one another with this hope. That's a point number one. The point number two here is that not only God promised something before, but he ordained something, but he paid for it. And because he paid for it, we could encourage one another that this encouragement is paid for. Verse 9 says, For God did not destine us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. This is the payment. This is the substitutionary atonement. This is how much encouragement costs. This has happened to you. You drive maybe to a Starbucks drive through and then you order your drink, whatever, and then you go to pay, and they would say, well, a person before you paid for your drink. And all of a sudden, you encouraged. Somebody paid for this encouragement. And this is good. Sometimes we think encouragement costs very little. A smile, a word of encouragement, just come alongside. But in reality, encouragement was paid for on the cross. Because there is no other hope. There is no other courage, encouragement to go before God unless there's paid for, your sins are paid for on the cross. And so... We could be encouraged and encourage others saying, Christ paid on the cross for your sins. Aren't you glad? Aren't you rejoicing over this? And you would say, no, I have this other problem to fix. And I don't think that God could help me with this. And how ridiculous that is. God is sovereign. He's in control, but he's also the one who provides the means he provides the means. Through Christ Jesus, he's the agent of these means. And he is the means itself. He is the agent. Through Christ Jesus, he delivered us. And by his death, he delivered us. 
The price, the phrase obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, is so brief. But it's the first time in the New Testament of Apostle Paul's writings that he mentioned so clearly the means of our salvation. Because Thessalonians is an early church and probably the first book that was written by Paul. And the first time in his book here, he clearly says that means by which you've been delivered from the wrath of God is the death of Jesus Christ. Now, we skip over because we hear it all over time, but the first Thessalonians, when they read it, it was, yes, the gospel comes through. Because in Acts 17, this is exactly what God, what Paul was preaching to them. That is because of this agent Jesus Christ, that salvation is possible, that any kind of encouragement is possible. He is like an ark of Noah, ark for people of Noah that hides people from the wrath of God that came the worldwide flood. And so now we are hidden in Jesus. Whenever we hear this word, in Jesus, in Jesus, we are in, in him as in the ark, protected from the wrath of God. And that is encouragement. I am in Christ, you are in Christ, and we come alongside and say, well, you are in Christ, brother. The word encouragement, in Greek, in Hebrew, uh, all languages all together, in, in English, means to bring courage, right? In, it's a compound word, in, courage. You put courage in people's heart, when they're afraid, when they are, dis- when they are distressed. In Greek word, it's also a compound word. It means parakaleo, para meaning parallel, something alongside, and kaleo means calling, call someone. And so when someone is falling, you come alongside and help them. Probably one of the best illustrations is the, the training wheel on the, your child's bicycle. They are not carrying the full weight, but they are going alongside that care sometimes when person is falling. And so Paul is saying that our encouragement comes because Christ paid for it, and we have to bring this to people. We have to tell them, Christ paid for your sin. And we go alongside of them when they're discouraged and remind them that the truth of the gospel, because nothing else will. Every sixth American, I just read it, the, st- uh, the, the statistic of 2017, every sixth American is suffering from some kind of depression. And they've taken antidepressant drugs. But courage does not come from pills. Courage does not come just from people. Courage comes from the cross. Because God accepted us in Christ Jesus because he paid for our sins. These are the means of salvation. You could ask, why such a sacrifice? Why such a price for the encouragement? Why did God pay so much to encourage us? I remember when I was in seventh or eighth grade, my school principals, he was a principal, he was an atheist, and he, for some reason, liked me, and he friendly had discussion with me often. He took me out of the school class, and, and during the school time, he just, I sat in his office, and he gave me and asked, asked me questions. And he, I remember he always alluded to two questions. Number one, he says, well, if you're God all-knowing, why, why does he need you to pray to him? And I, was, I did not know what to answer. I said, why do you, does he need to 
Like you pray to him, like you inform him, him or something. But the second question he was asking, if God is so merciful and loving, why did he sacrifice his own son? And I couldn't have an answer for that. Like why in the world? Why such a price? And it's not because God is bloodthirsty monster who like child abuse. No, he's not. He, he enjoyed his son. He loved his son. But why did he put him through suffering so that the means of salvation will be done? Because there's no one else, no one else under heaven that is able to save people but Jesus Christ himself. The wrath of God of his righteousness must be poured out on someone. And if it's not on him, it would be on you. And that's what it says that he died for us for us instead of us he did this because if he would not die we would god was angry was god angry at jesus he was angry at jesus but he is because he put on all the sins upon himself and you could understand a little bit of this anger a little bit we try not to be angry but there is a righteous anger. There is a righteous anger because the Bible says, be angry. And, and in some cases, if you're not angry, something is wrong with you. If you see a child abuse and you're not angry, you're just suffering with this child. But if you're not angry against the evil, it's not good. If you see rape and you're not angry and you don't want to, evil to be punished, something's wrong with you. If we represent God in any way, we represent of the righteous God who wants the punishment. What God forbids us to do, he said, be angry, but do not sin. Do not take vengeance in your own hands. Do not go and punish by yourself, but you should feel the frustration that I feel. Let my vengeance be done by me. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But we could a little bit understand that this wrath that is coming upon the earth, and it was redirected from us to Jesus, and he killed him. Now, when we think about this, isn't this encouraging? Like, I don't have, I'm not going to be on the wrath. I'm in Christ Jesus. He died for me. It's been paid. We should be encouraged because there's, it's unchanged reality. It was done by the sovereignty of God, by his decree. He promised us, you're not going to die. You will live. Now, is that not enough? He said, listen, I paid for you. I bought you. And I sacrificed my own son. Be encouraged. Encourage others. And the third thing is in verse 10, he says, who died for us, Why? The purpose of our encouragement, the purpose of our salvation is to have a divine fellowship. Why did he die for us? Answer with me this question. What is the point of Jesus? This from the verse 9. Look with me. Who died for us so that what? What would happen? So that we could carry on. So that we escaped the hell. So that we would have, be happy. What is that? Are you with me? With your Bibles? Anybody see why? What's the purpose of our salvation here? 
Every time we see so, that introducing the purpose. God is encouraging us with the highest purpose for your life. It's to have fellowship with him. That is encouraging. That is encouraging. Christ died for two reasons here. It says that, that we would live, that we would live, but also that we would live with him. It is true that Jesus promised to us eternal life and life without, with him in abundance. He promised us eternal life. This is exciting for us. This is encouraging for us. Jesus promised that those who believe in him will never come to a judgment by bypass from death to life. He promises life for sure. Jesus promised, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. He promised the resurrection for sure. But what this text gives us is not that he give us life in abundance, but life with him. That is the most exciting thing that ever you could hear, life with him. Christ died, not only that we might live again, but what we'll live with him. This is an incredible promise. In 1 John 3, 1, he says, See how great a love of the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God? And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we're children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. This promise that we will see Jesus face to face. This promise that we spend with the glorious God face to face for a long, long, long time is an encouraging thing. Moses, if you remember, he wanted to see the glory of God. He said, show me your glory in Exodus 33, and that would be done for me. It would be enough. That's it. Show me just one glimpse. He wanted the presence of God. He told to God, if you don't go with us, with your presence, please don't lead us out of this place. We don't want to go anywhere. Why do you want to have eternal life? Why do you want to have life in abundance? Well, the reason is, should be, because we want to be with him. The only time, the only way how we will be with eternal God forever is that we would have eternal life. The point of eternal life is that we will be always with him, but not just live. How is that your desire? Is that your desire to be with God at all time? And yet, what Moses didn't get, he said, well, God said, you cannot see my face. You cannot see my face. I'm going to show you the glory from the back. But then he sent Jesus. And he promised that he's going to send him again. And that we'll see him face to face at all time. Christ promised to us divine fellowship. The purpose for our salvation is that we will spend forever time with God in a fellowship. That is encouraging. What are you striving for? By the sovereign decree of God, God has secured your salvation. Put on the helmet of this hope. I have hope that God has done this eternity past. 
on the cross, I have hope that he paid for all my sins and there's nothing is unpaid. Put on the helmet of salvation. And that God has promised that he would never leave me nor forsake me forever in eternity future. That's encouraging. Now, this is the basis. This is the basis for our encouragement. If you try to be encouraged by something else, but any other promises made not by God, they will fall short. People will fail. You, you will fail, but never God. And therefore, he tells us in verse 11, therefore, 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 since you understand this hope, this pillars, this helmet has these three aspects of sovereignty of God and payment of Christ, sacrificial payment of Christ, and also future destiny, fellowship with Christ. Then therefore, start encouraging and passing along this, this courage to others. Start being this training wheels to people. If you see a turtle upside down, come and help. And it's not your, your power. It is the, by the power of God. You don't encourage and you don't call your own words. So let me, let me encourage you somehow. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to pan out. No. You go to the Bible. And you show from the scripture, this is what God promised. That's what encouragement is. You know, in... In sport, I read one testimony. People are saying that running a marathon is a killer. Running a marathon, half marathon, is possible. A lot of people are trying to run a half marathon, and they prepare and stuff, but somewhere along a seven mile, the half marathon is about 13 miles, right? So somewhere along a, a ha- seven mile, half of the marathon, your legs are like soft like sponge. You're, you're out of breath, and you're asking yourself, why do I need this? Like, why did I sign up? I mean, I'm just going to quit. I'm ready to, to die right now. Just that's it. Nobody's going to notice that I'm not there anyway. There's a bunch of people are running. And, and people who know this, they stand at the seventh mile and cheer up. And they say, you could do it. Go for it. You've been training. You could do it. And the difference between that type of encouragement when you can say, hey, you could do it. The power is in you. You actually could do it. And the difference with the encouragement from Christian perspective is that, no, God in you can do it. It's not only that you are in Christ, but he is in you. This gospel is in you. You have the ability to go through because he has promised to be a long way. And as in this half marathon, those people, there's a second breathing opens up, and they just start running a little bit more, and they finish the race. You want to be one of those people who stand and cheer up and point to Christ and say, well, he is able to do in you things that he promised. That's what Romans 14, 9, after all the glorious theology, Paul says, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up for one another. This is how you encourage people. And the second thing Paul says and command us here is that you build one another up. Now, I want to address your attention that this doesn't say to pastors to do that. 
It's, it just goes without saying. Of course, pastors and preachers should encourage people, right? It's, it's, it's there. But it doesn't say here that. It says what? What does it say? Who should encourage whom? One another. And it's an interesting phrase because in Greek, there's two ways how to say one another. There's one, one another, and it's each other. This is what it means individually, each other, start encouraging with the word of God that you have, with the gospel, encouraging alongside who is next to you. Don't be the discourager. Be the encourager. Don't just wait for the pastor to encourage you, but you encourage people that are next to you. Don't share the doubts with people. Share hope. When you build people up, what are you building? It says build one another up. It's like, do we take bricks and try to build you up somehow? Do we you know, give you candies? Do we, what, what do we try to build? Do we try to build self-esteem? Like, oh, you're a good person. You're, you're doing good. Great job. What are we trying to build? We try to build the soul, try to build the mind, try to build the knowledge. What, what do we try to build? Every time when Bible says that build one another up, it always has this aspect, build faith in Christ in those people. Because when they're discouraged, the faith, faith goes out. People don't believe. They are discouraged. And we should trust God and build the faith in them. When we build ministries, sometimes we confuse building ministries with building people, building the church, with building the faith in people. But that's what he's telling us. In a desperation time, when you're feeling so frustrated and are, are unable to go, when you're so, so discouraged, someone come along to you and say, you know what, God is faithful. Here's the word of God. Here are his promises. Just, you'll be fine, not because you just be fine, but because the Bible said so. And you build a faith. Because without faith, there's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to be righteous without, with God. Without faith, you can't serve God. Without faith, there's no atonement, no salvation, no hope. So you want to build faith in people. And we do it by various ways. We speak the word of God to them. We also love them. Because we build one another in love. Ephesians 4.16 says, Being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. When we pray for one another. I don't know what's the most encouraging thing for you. Years ago I have this incident when we went to a restaurant with my wife, and we saw an old lady there, old Russian lady, and she recognized me, and I didn't recognize her. And she said, how's your ministry? And at that time, I did not know what she's asking, like, what kind of ministry? And I said, well, what are you talking about? And she said, the ministry of evangelism, how's it going? Because you shared with me about five years ago, how's it going? Because I was praying every day for you since that time. <laughs> that was super encouraging. Someone prayed. 
sharing the word of God, loving one another, praying for one another. These are encouraging things. That's what in Jude 120, it says, but you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the highest of humans' duties is the duty of encouragement. It is easy to laugh at men's ideas. It is easy to criticize. So easy. It is easy to pour out cold water on the enthusiasm. It is easy to take the breath out of the wings. It is easy to discourage others. The word is full of discouragement. We have Christian duty to encourage one another. It's a command. Many a time a word of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept man on his feet. Blessed is the one who speaks such word. Be an encourager. Do not drag people down. Build them up. Give and will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standards of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Spread their encouragement as you have received it from God. Let me finish with this. When you feel like an upside-down turtle, remember that there is one who's always with you. His name is the comforter, the encourager of the Holy Spirit. He encourages us. And when there's no one around, he's the one who's always present. The job of the Holy Spirit is to be helpful, comforter in encouraging us to believe in the promises of God. And so therefore, if you want to go alongside with this awesome job, description of the Holy Spirit, partner up with him. Encourage. Father, we need your grace. May you bless us, Lord, to take these words like Thessalonians did. They didn't take it as from man, sinful man, broken man. Not from the man with wisdom, but us from the word of God, which is really is. In order that you may perform in us work in those who believe. I pray that full faith in Christ's name. Amen.